You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. Faith and fear are both beliefs in the unknown. We have the option to choose, right? But most of us have been programmed to choose fear. We've been programmed, whether it be, you know, because as, as children, we're fearless, right? We, we go to do something and we want to explore, but then you have yeah. a parent tell you, don't do that. Or they're constantly, you know, trying from their perspective, they're trying to protect you, but then they're also programming you to fear things. And it mm -hmm. may be based on their own perspective and understanding, right? So unfortunately, there's a lot that we've learned as children that we need to unlearn and relearn. Welcome to the first episode of season four. We are now in a new city. I just moved to New York about eight weeks ago. So I've taken some time to settle in, rejuvenate, start school, and find my rhythm. And I'm really excited to get back into the podcast, hosting these conversations, having the great opportunity to share these episodes with you and bring on some really incredible guests. So on the show today, I I sit down with McKinney Smith, who is a mindset coach and entrepreneur, host of A Walk in My Stilettos. And in this episode, we talked about moving away from a space of fear and into faith. Uh, some of the building blocks of building a life rhythm where you are leaning in to what fuels you and McKinney's interesting take on SMART goals. And it's probably not what you would expect. We talked about some of the life challenges she's had the loss of her sister, going through a divorce, being a single mother, and how she was able to kind of turn these experiences into building a life that she's living now and to start, you know, thinking and creating and building in a way that has impact in mind, that has legacy in mind, and really supporting other people on their own journeys. This is a really powerful episode, so I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I am here with the wonderful McKinney Smith. McKinney, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Naomi. I love what you're doing, and it's a complete honor to be a guest on your show. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing to be on the show. I've, um, I was telling you before we hit record that my intention actually was to reach out to you this fall and I love how things have aligned. I love the work that you're doing. And so for the audience, McKinney Smith is an award-winning entrepreneur and the founder of A Walk in My Stilettos. Today, McKinney is a mindset coach and Proctor Gallagher certified consultant who works to help people to improve the quality of their lives. And not only does she share her message through her coaching practice, she also speaks at events, conferences, live functions, and McKinney has shared her expertise on global media platforms, including Shed Lane, Exo Nicole, iHeartRadio, CBC, Vice News, um, only to name a few. And McKinney is also the author of four books. A Walk in My Stilettos is one where she walks readers through her life experience, another book that delves into affirmations, and then two gratitude journals, and one that specifically is, you know, designed for couples. And in 2019, or 2018, actually, McKinney created A Walk in My Stilettos, the podcast, which is now one of the top 2% most popular podcasts globally, which is insane. Congratulations. <laughs> um, it's actually jumped up to 1.5, so thank you. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> okay, update 1.5% most uh, po popular podcast globally. Um, and Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you, you know, giving that beautiful intro. Like I said, it's a complete honor to be on your show. I would love if you could give us a little bit of insight into your origin story, how you grew up, you know, do you have siblings, the whole nine yards? <laughs> as soon as you added into you have siblings I was like oh wow this is going to take long um <laughs> so I'll, I'll get that part out of the way to to start I'll see how much of a Coles Notes version I can give you mm. but I believe I think I'm up to 21 siblings if that I think I've, I've lost count but my my mother has five children my parents had three together and my father who is a Rastafarian has many so yeah <laughs> Um, in terms of growing up, I grew up in government housing to a single mom. My parents split when I was a year old. And I grew up in a community where 
you know, there were a lot of, I'm going to say families that were supporting each other. So my mom was working multiple jobs. She was hardly ever home, um, you know, because she had to make ends meet, but I was being raised by my older siblings and, you know, my best friend's parents and spending time at the neighbor's house being raised by them while they were watching other kids. And when we moved out of that area, when my mom worked her way up to buying her first property, we moved out into the town of Markham and it was a, a complete, I'm going to say a culture shock to me because now we moved into the subdivision, you know, with all these cookie cutter homes, but people pulled into their garage and you had no idea who your neighbors were. You know, you're lucky if you saw them on the driveway to wave to them, you know, they went into their garage and they went into their home. So I went from growing up in a community where I felt, you know, connection and being safe outside to growing up feeling like, you know, uh, a little lost. And then by the time I hit, I'm going to say about 15, 14, uh, we moved to Scarborough and I met at the time would have been my, my daughter's, uh, both my daughter's father and got pregnant when I was 17. So I was a teenage mom, but I didn't ever want to be a statistic. I always knew that I wanted to be a valuable member to society, that I wanted to contribute, that I wanted to, you know, make an impact. And growing up in, you know, government housing in certain environments, you don't see the vision of possibility. A lot of people are living in a space of surviving. So you don't see people thriving, um, especially legally. So I didn't have that vision of, of mentorship or the idea back then of dreaming big and um let's see where can I fast forward this story (laughs) I mean I had three children by the time I was 30 years old going through a divorce and that's when I jumped headfirst into entrepreneurship and that completely uh, I'm going to say shifted my perspective of what is possible that's when I got into Um, my own personal development and being a single mother of three kids while doing real estate full-time was definitely not easy. And in my second year of real estate, my sister, who was like my best friend, my support system, my confidant um, in 2012, she passed away and I shut down, you know, my entire family Mm -hmm. was processing, you know, the grief of losing her because she was like the hub of the family. But that, six months where I was trying to regain control of my, my mental health. You know, I had people that were reaching out to me and letting me know what she meant to them and the difference that she made Mm -hmm. in their life. And that made me ask, you know, what legacy do I want to leave behind? How do I want to be remembered? You know, how do I want to make people feel? And I'm going to say, I started to emulate a lot of her qualities, you know, being there for other people, uplifting people, posting positive things online and that led to me attracting an opportunity to meet Bob Proctor in person in 2013. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know who Bob Proctor is, he's um, one of the thought leaders featured in the documentary, The Secret. Um, he does live here in Canada. <laughs> and um, yeah, that my whole world turned around after that. He opened up my mind to understanding, you know, how the brain works, how energy works, spirit. Um, it basically broke down for me in, in layman terms, all the principles that I was learning in church, but made it more understandable mm-hmm. for me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, through that awareness, my obsession with personal development, you know, came into play. And, um, you know, his wife ended up writing the forward for my first book. Uh, I ended up publishing four books of my own. Now I help mm-hmm. other authors and, and such publish their books. So it just opened up my my mind to possibility and um, I guess that's where we got to now, the present, my obsession with personal development and helping other people tap into their potential. Wow. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry for the loss that you, that you had in your life. And Thank it's, you. in that moment, it probably makes absolutely no sense why this is happening, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And the messages that you received, because I've heard you tell this story and it's, so uh, poignant every time I hear it because the messages that you received afterwards, it probably, this is just an assumption, but probably really clarified like how short life is, right? Absolutely. 
um, got you to ask those questions about legacy and, and how you want to impact other people. And so were those, and at the time you were working in real estate, is that right? Mm -hmm. That was your, okay. And so can you tell us a little bit about that time in your life and how you, how you looking back now think that that opportunity kind of landed in your inbox and, you know, why that happened the way that it did? Yeah, for sure. So I was selling real estate full time and even after my sister passed away and I started to, you know, come out of the depression and I was doing my best to put that positivity out there, I'm going to say dove into work, to being busy. And at the time I looked at it as, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm healing. Um, but I think I was just suppressing <laughs> and trying to numb myself and, and cover up that process of, I'm going to say doing the things to keep busy and as much as I was putting positive energy out there, the stranger that reached out to me to give me that opportunity to connect with Bob Proctor in person, he loved the positive tweets that I was putting out on the internet. So he just, I guess, happened to be following me on Twitter and loved the positivity. And I mean, not everyone was, um, I'm going to say, not everyone embraced <laughs> the positivity that I was putting out. I, you know, I had some people that were like, yeah, it's a little, you're a little overboard or it's too bubbly for me. Or, you know, it was, it was hard for me to process how me being positive made people upset. <laughs> but I learned that the more Oof. that you are, <laughs> like, there are people that have their own stuff to deal with. I know that. There's now. a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> but that positivity where uh, that person felt attracted to yeah. connecting to me. And my phone number was on the internet back then. So he just happened to call and offer me this opportunity to meet Bob Proctor. And I thought it was a joke. I was like, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm busy, buddy. Send me an email. <laughs> and when he sent the email and I seen an actual picture of him standing next to Bob Proctor, smiling with the, you know, address and invitation to connect. I know now that I attracted that. You know, yeah. sometimes we don't realize what we're doing in the moment. Um, sometimes we don't realize the power of our thoughts or our feelings. But knowing what I know now about the keys to manifestation, I was in a right place to align mm -hmm. with that. So that that alignment, you know, brought that opportunity. It helped to even bring me further out of the low vibration or the, um, you know, sad, depressive feelings that I was going through. Mm -hmm. um yeah <laughs> and you also don't know who's watching right like you didn't even know absolutely. who this individual was at the time right and um absolutely the fact that you trusted that and you kept doing it in spite of maybe the weird feedback that you were receiving is I think <laughs> <laughs> is a is a true testament to just trusting yourself and knowing that no I'm doing this because I'm aligned with something greater than you know what all of this is. So absolutely. And, and that's a process within itself. A lot of people don't trust themselves, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, the base of their trust issues of other people, but um, learning to trust for me that God is in control. And that if I yeah. follow my intuition, which is really me listening to God and having conversations with God, but following that has always led me to a better place. You know, sometimes we question our thoughts or our feelings or the things that we want to do and we ask everyone around us but that vision may have not been given to that person so their right. input that they're giving you mm -hmm. may not be what you need they may actually block the blessing because of their own perspective their own experiences so learning to trust within um <laughs> and align Except yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because that that message was not for them and i think that's like a bigger conversation in terms of God being able to plant certain visions in your life that, you know, with your gifts and talents are able to actualize. Right. Yeah. And in a past interview, I've heard you talk a little bit about the unknown and the relationship of like fear to the unknown and then faith and belief and the, un the unknown. I'm wondering if you could talk about maybe an experience that you have today or even like 10 years ago but uh, what helped you move from 
that fear space and to more of that belief mm -hmm. in that faith space. Yeah. So faith and fear are both beliefs in the unknown. We have the option to choose, right? But most of us have been programmed to choose fear. We've been programmed, whether it be, you know, because as, as children, we're fearless, right? We, we go to do something and we want to explore, but then you yeah. have a parent tell you, don't do that. Or they're constantly, you know, trying from their perspective, they're trying to protect you, but then they're also programming you to fear things. And it mm -hmm. may be based on their own perspective and understanding, right? So unfortunately, there's a lot that we've learned as children that we need to unlearn and relearn. And I used to fear everything, spiders, heights, traveling, the dark, <laughs> every day, <laughs> people. Um, <clears throat> and then after I had my kids, I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And anxiety is, you know, worrying about future events while fear is a reaction to a current event. But I was in a constant state of panic. If I wasn't feeling anxious about something, I was fearful of something. So my nervous system was under attack. And it was like in overdrive and affecting my physical health. And what doctors, I don't know if they still do, but what they did back then, um, anyone who was dealing with anything physical that they couldn't explain, they labeled it under fibromyalgia, which, you know, it's like chronic muscle pain. And um, I know a lot back then where they used to just say it's in your head. So basically, mm -hmm. you didn't really believe any of your symptoms because on paper, you're perfectly healthy, but you're complaining of these body aches and these pains and these heart palpitations. But, you know, test will show that you're perfectly healthy. You're perfectly normal. But I was having these flare-ups um, for weeks at a time where I couldn't get out of bed, where I could, you know, I'd need my kids' assistance to even make it to the washroom. Like I couldn't function, but my body was reacting from living in this constant state of fear. And I talk about in my first book that the acronym for fear, um, you know, most of us know it as false evidence appearing real. And I started to look at it as face everything and rise. You know, I realized after pushing through a lot of my fears that everything that I ever wanted was on the other side of that. That's where all the rewards were. You know, my fear of flying, once I got over that, I was able to go and see the world. You yeah. know, my, my fear of, um, you know, I don't know, insects. Like now that I've gotten over that to some degree, um, I can enjoy, you know, my two hour nature walks every day. So the things that I mm -hmm. was afraid of were based on my perception of a thing and based on a lot of the programming that I had that I had to, to unlearn and relearn. So most of us have, you know, we call it our terror barrier. So anytime you're either setting a goal, you're trying to skip, you know, rungs on the ladder of success, or you're coming up against something that you're not used to, you come up against the terror barrier. So whenever you go to make a serious change in your life, um, anything that brings you out of your comfort zone, you're going to come up against the terror barrier. Um, you know, with any change that would come under the category of a major change in behavior, you're going to come up against the terror barrier, but it'll instantly and automatically be standing between you and the greatness that you desire. So mm -hmm. when this happens, we have a choice. Out of fear, we can step back into safety yeah. And continue to experience the exact same results that we've been getting year after year that we don't want, the definition of insanity. <laughs> or we can be courageous and have faith and experience the growth that we want. And because of that, now I'm able to, like I said, travel and have, you know, my daily outdoor walks and to even make an impact because I was terrified of public speaking. 10 years ago, if you told me that I would be speaking on podcasts and speaking in front of audiences and coaching thousands of women and speaking on some I'd be like, yeah, no, no, thanks. <laughs> but I had to overcome those fears, right? <laughs> so it's not, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, people say when they hear, when they hear me say that, you know, I struggle with social anxiety or that I'm severely introverted. They're like, wow, but you speak on stages and you have a podcast and you do this and you do that. And it's like, no, the fear still exists, but I push through it. You know, the anxiety is still there sometimes but I'm able to minimize it so that it doesn't control me. You know what I mean? If, if we make a list of our fears and our doubts and our worries, 
we can look at those fears and then ask ourselves, what are you going to do about it? Because sometimes the things that we fear are not realistic. If we were to measure what we're afraid of on a scale of one to 10, you know, let's say, I don't know, I'm, I'll use an example of being afraid to speak in front of a bunch of people. On a scale of one to 10, for someone, they may feel that that may be a, a nine. But then if you compare it to saying, well, what if there was a grizzly bear in front of you and you were out on a nature walk? Like, well, mm-hmm. how would you rate your fear? And they'd be like, oh, no, that's a 10, right? So it's saying in comparison, your fear of speaking in front of people, now you may be able to bring that down to, I don't know, a three. So it's not ignoring your fears, but being able to push through them. I still struggle with social anxiety, so I avoid large groups of people wherever possible. (laughs) I'm super sensitive to energy, so I I get drained. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't allow it to steal my joy. I've been able to take my power back. The fear still exists, but I just push through it. That's really powerful. My question was specifically, I'm curious to know, what the first piece of proof that you got that this is relative, like my fear is relative. Because initially I was going to really ask if it was one decision that you made that allowed you to get more comfortable with other more more challenging decisions. But maybe if you could speak to like the first piece of proof that you got of, oh, I did this thing that I, you know, mm-hmm. previously like built up in my head. Look at me, like yeah. I can do other hard <laughs> things. Do you remember that yeah. first example? Um, that I can think of. Wow. So I know for me, it's been overcoming one fear at a time. And when I look at something that I'm afraid of now, I'm like, well, I did that other thing and I didn't die. Like (laughs) um, something as simple as uh, uh, earlier this week, I went on a nature walk with my son and there was this massive suicide hill that people train on. And I've been looking at that hill for months and my son challenged me to run up that hill and I did it. And I, I thought if I ever did, I'd die. <laughs> but I didn't die. Um, in terms of like thinking of the first thing, the first major thing that I can think of is surviving my divorce and being a single mom. Like I, I was, you know, I, I was a stay-at-home mom for almost five years. My um, ex-husband was the you know, breadwinner, he brought in all the money and we had a lifestyle where we had multiple properties and luxury cars and we were able to travel every month. And then to walk away from that and think that I would be able to survive um, keeping a roof over the kids' heads and foods in their mouth. So for me, that would be the first thing that comes to mind. And one of the biggest things that I didn't think I would be able to do, much less do successfully, So when people talk about success, to me, I believe that success is different to everyone. And the fact that I've been self-employed for 11, 12 years, single mother for all that time, and I've been able to keep a roof over my children's head and food in their mouth, (laughs) and I can sleep in a warm bed at night, to me, that's success. (laughs) That's, yeah, I completely agree. I'm curious what your practice is every day to really stand in your confidence. Like I I know you talked about the fear always being there and yes, like we've, even from my personal experience, don't think it ever goes away. Mm -hmm. It's there maybe in lesser amounts, but I'm wondering what your practice is when you say like you've been a single mom for the past decade, you've been able to grow your business really. um, And especially like, over the past year, you talked about, you know, your time during COVID is really accelerating your business and Mm -hmm. doing more like virtual talks and all of these things and really standing in your power. I'm wondering what your daily practices are to um, consistently show up, even when it's challenging or difficult. Um, So what I've learned in the last few years is that my self-care is essential. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. I think in the beginning when I became an entrepreneur and I was trying to push push through my fears, I put everything else first and put myself Mm -hmm. last. And it was like, no, I have to do this because 
people are depending on me to show up at this event, or I have to do this because this is what the kids need, or I have to, but it was always someone else or something else. Mm -hmm. And now I have a pretty strict self-care routine where I make sure that I'm filling my cup first every day so that I have the capacity to pour into others. Um, I don't know if that fully answers the question, but every single day I make sure in terms of my self-care that I'm filling my cup, mind, body, and soul, making sure that I am doing things that bring me joy, that help to put me on a higher vibration and to make sure that I am able to be my best self physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially. Mm -hmm. And I find in doing so, I have the energy to deal with the struggles and the adversities because I would be depleted if I wasn't filling my cup first. Mm -hmm. So I make sure that I fill my cup and I serve from the saucer instead of, you know, trying to pour from this empty cup. But in the process, um, I totally just had a, a blank of what I was about to say. <laughs> Take your time. Take um, your time. You asked about the daily practices. Yep. Yep. Um, like, did I answer all that? I did, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, you totally answered the question. Maybe, can you share some examples of what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the things that I make sure I do every single day, um, meditating, because that calms my nervous system, especially since I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder. I, I need to make sure that I'm not in this constant flight or fight or flight mode. So um, being able to meditate, being able to be still and have conversations with God, um, my active practicing gratitude. And when I say active, I mean, it's not just saying, yeah, I'm grateful for this. It's every single day intentionally writing in my gratitude journal and connecting what I'm grateful for to a feeling. So that lifts my vibration, um, making sure that I'm drinking enough water to fuel me, making sure that I have enough sleep. Um, I need and I'm not gonna tell you this, I need a minimum of seven hours and 20 minutes every night or I'm not a nice person. <laughs> um, making sure that I stay physically active and I'm not that girl that you'll find working out multiple times in the gym. I will try to avoid the gym. I actually do just nature walks every single day, right? Doing trails, um, you know, some of them feel like you're on the Stairmaster. So there's multiple things that I do to make sure that I'm, consuming um, what's good for me physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, making sure that I'm reading something every day, listening to positive podcasts every day. I call them like my non-negotiables. You know, I have my morning routine and my evening routine, so it's, it's broken down, but these are things that I have to do every single day to keep myself on a higher vibration because it's easy to slip into uh, the cycle of negative thought patterns and all those things. It's, we're not, we're not programmed to wake up happy every day. <laughs> so it's work. But then in terms of even using that to build my confidence, now I remember what I was going to say before, because you asked about a confidence. I think my confidence has come from my competence. So for example, when I started podcasting in 2018, I hated the sound of my own voice. I knew nothing about interviewing people. I knew nothing about the technicalities of it. So I wasn't confident in it. But now we're, you know, I've done over 150 something um, episodes. And I don't even know if that includes all the ones that are currently published or whatever, but doing that many interviews, recording that many episodes and having to learn the technicalities over and over and over again of the process, my confidence in it now is way higher than it was three years ago, right? So sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to start a thing until I can perfect it or until I, mm. you know, know how to do it well. Nothing starts out perfect. Babies don't come out walking. Like there's a process. <laughs> there's a process to it. So that idea of being perfect I don't hold on to that. Um, I, I hold on to the idea of excellence, but not the idea of being perfect. I believe also that my spiritual DNA is perfect because I know who my creator is, but mm -hmm. I think that people hold themselves back from their greatness and the, and the great that they desire because of their idea of perfection. So it's me learning how to do things along the way 
that builds my confidence because I can look back at, you know, whether it be a beginning episode and see my growth. I can look back at, you know, branding that I did for myself years ago and see my growth. I can look back on those things and see the evolution and that I'm proud of. So that's where my confidence in certain things come from. Many coming through so many good points. I mean, the first part of your answer was around the the habits that you have in place. And, you know, imagine if we could do, you could do your nature walk once a month and like see the results that you have. It's like, no, this is something that I need to do daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why it's called a practice, right? At the end of the day. And in your answers, I like, I hope everyone else can see it, but McKinney really, you you know, you took your, the time to learn about what your body needs, about what you specifically need, right? Maybe yes. the next person does not need seven hours and 20 minutes to, right. to, to feel rejuvenated in the morning. You know, maybe they need more, maybe they need less. But mm-hmm. I think the the one thing that I really like the, the most important thing that I took from the beginning part of your answer was just learn yourself. And those things are going to change too, but you need to be kind of like, listening to your body, right? And um, I had a question about the gratitude statement, the gratitude journal that you have of tying like a blessing or something that you're grateful to, to an emotion or a feeling. Can Mm -hmm. you go deeper into that? Absolutely. For some people, they see gratitude as fluff. Um, They don't realize on a deeper level how that connects with your brain and your energy and your spirit. So you know, just on a superficial level saying, yeah, I'm grateful for life. Okay, well, when you say that, does that shift you in your heart, in your core? Did you feel anything, you know, within your feelings? No, maybe not. Okay, what about life are you grateful for? Think about somebody you love. When you start to think about that person, that happy thought sets off a chemical reaction within your brain and then processes Mm -hmm. through your body, right? So our emotions, our feelings are really just labels for the vibrational level that we're on. So if I say that I'm happy, I'm on a high vibration. If I'm sad, I'm on a low vibration. So when I'm thinking about the things that I'm grateful for, I am trying to connect a feeling to it so I can shift the vibrational level that I'm on. Um, And that's how it gets greater impact on my health mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Welcome. And that that other piece about the competence really fueling your confidence in a specific area, the the podcast example that you shared of you know looking back two three years ago, it's so crazy because I look back on this stuff and like the first instinct <laughs> to look at my own stuff from is cringe. Like yeah. oh my god, it was yeah. so bad. <laughs> but I wouldn't like we wouldn't be here if we didn't put out that first draft, right? And I think. There's, there's something to be said about, let me just try this. I have no idea where it's going to go, but it's going to evolve and you're going to become a better speaker. You're going to become a better, you know, conversationalist. You're going to, you know, X, Y, Z, better researching guests and really like learning about different stories. And, and now you help people also build their podcasts. So I was wondering if you could, if we can pivot a little bit and you can share a little bit about um, what that journey has been like for you as well. Absolutely. So I've had my podcast for, I think we're coming up to three years. And, you know, even when you mentioned before about, um, you know, the global ranking of hitting the top 1.5% in the world, like that blows my mind. Every time my mind is blown and I have, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> Is, is, is this a joke? Um, but <laughs> I guess because I believe that the best way to show that you understand something is to teach it to someone else. And I also believe that God doesn't run out of blessings. So me teaching other people exactly what I've learned, how I've learned it, the tools that I use, I don't see that as you know, competition or a threat or, you know, however else someone else may may look at it. So I do these master classes and they're three hours long and I break down from start to finish everything you need to know, everything that I know (laughs) about podcasting. And the beautiful part for me is when people who have taken my course come back and even ask me to be on their show because they, before the session, didn't think that it was possible for them to do that. 
And now they're doing the things that they were either once afraid of or didn't see as a possibility. And now they're, they're doing those things. So I feel like I'm contributing (laughs) um, a great deal when it, when it comes to that and Mm -hmm. just seeing the ripple effect of that, you know, whether it be them teaching other people how to do a podcast or whatever, just being able to help people tap into their full potential in all areas of their life is just something that excites me. Mm-hmm. And how I'm wondering, because um, you also do mindset coaching, right, McKinney? Mm-hmm. And what you'd mentioned, I mean, it's kind of throughout the whole episode, but what you've mentioned about practices and, and keeping your cup full and really investing in your self care. I'm wondering what, I highly doubt there's like a typical engagement and what that looks like with different clients, but I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about your framework and your approach um because what you'd mentioned earlier about your your thoughts releasing like chemicals into into your body and that impacting your emotions and and what actually happens in your life like what actualizes Mm -hmm. in your life i hope that didn't like go over anybody's head but i'm wondering if you could explain your work what you walk through with people and then if you could tie it in with the science and the spirit spirituality piece as well that'd be great Yeah, absolutely. So with the mindset coaching sessions, my main sessions are using Bob Proctor's systems that I've learned as a consultant. So the trainings are structured. So they're guided guided sessions that are like relevant, simple, and practical to help you create the habits and the mindset that's essential to your success in all areas of your life. You know, helping to improve your business, your family relationships, and your relationship with yourself. And each session is focused on a different habit or thought process. So uh, we may focus on things like um, goal setting. And when I say goal setting, not, you know, the average smart goals, um, awareness, productivity, um, gaining controls over, control over your thoughts, your self-image, overcoming fear, um, your attitude, effective leadership, you know, creating masterminds, all kinds of things like that. So we, we focus on the different aspects that are required for your success. And what I find is the women that I work with, some of them originally, like they come for just personal development or they come for just business development. And the, the sessions show them how it all syncs together because some people feel like, yeah, I just want to focus on business. Entrepreneurship is a personal development journey, right? We are developed as people through the experiences and the things that we have. So each session, because we're focusing on different elements that affect different areas of your life, they find improvement within their, their family and their relationships and with their children and within their business. So they're you know, increasing their bottom line financially, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. These are, these are all connected. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and I find it funny when people say, oh, like my life is 50% and then my work is 50% or my business is yeah, no. like, actually it's just like <laughs> everything is your life. And <laughs> they take different, like some, some of these things are more intense in certain periods. And it's so cool that that is revealed through your sessions. I mean, it's just a testament to your work and like how inclusive and also comprehensive it is. Like you come for one thing, but it might show you that there are needs in other areas as well. You kind of threw it in there around, you know, we don't focus on the typical or the mainstream approach to goal setting. So I'm wondering what your approach is and how it's maybe evolved over over time. Like how how do you look at achievement and building things and creating things? Um, let's see if I can I can break those down. So how do I look at achievement? I'll answer that one first. So I used to see myself as a high achiever, someone who was constantly striving to achieve certain things. And I think in the last couple of years, I have shifted my focus to not being an achiever, but to being an impactor and a healer. And we can, okay, let, let's look at it this way. Society or culture versus nature. Culturally, we are taught to seek accolades and recognition and, you know, chase things and there's competition and ends up being confusion. And I'm in a space of nature where I'm seeking peace and to be able to serve and to find connections and clarity and alignment. So that's the answer to the first part of your question. And let's see if I remember what the second part was. (laughs) 
You 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 did a little bit of a knock on the on the smart goal. So I'm wondering if there's a more yes a more spiritual way of approaching your goals and and what it is that you create. Yes. So um, with goal setting, um, I, you know I don't I don't believe in smart goals, and I learned that through Bob Proctor because they limit you. You know when they talk about things that are I don't know measurable. I don't know. I don't remember what smart stands for, but. <laughs> They limit you because if you, if you're trying to reach for something only because you can see that that thing is attainable, Mm. then you've limited how far you can reach, right? Say that again, please. (laughs) If, if you, if your goal for something is only something that you can reach, then that's not really stretching you. It's not doing what it's supposed to do, right? So good. Yeah. (laughs) So we believe in what's called well they're like we call them seagulls um so i'll break it down quickly for you so um there's a b seagulls a goals are goals that you think you can reach which is what most people are doing with their smart goals but they're limiting themselves right b goals are goals that you think you can reach if certain things fall into place so you know someone may say you know what i'll i don't know i'll write a book when such and such and such right so Mm -hmm. you attain that goal is dependent on other things happening. But then there's seagulls, which are fantasies to some people, but they're goals so big that they scare you. They're goals that stretch you beyond where you think you can go. So setting seagulls and always having a seagull forces you to reach past what you believe is possible. So it's looking at that fantasy, that vision that if you were to tell most people, they'd be like, girl, you crazy. But that's only because their perspective or their level of awareness isn't there yet. But if you mm-hmm. ask yourself, if you look at that fantasy goal that you have, that vision, and you say to myself, hmm, am I willing to do what it takes to get there? And am I able? Once you ask yourself those two questions, am I willing and am I able? You take that, that fantasy to a possibility because now you're looking at it like, hmm, maybe it is possible. And if, and if you can believe that it's possible, then you can make that a reality, right? So a lot of the big goals that we work on, um, we do through manifestation, but manifestation isn't just about thinking about a thing, right? It's coming into alignment with the energy that, or the spirit, whether you want to call it vibe, spirit, energy, it's all the same thing, but it's coming into alignment so that you can make that thing happen. I, I grew up going to church, well, originally with the neighbors until I started going with my family, but everyone always talked about, you know, just pray, pray for you, pray for things. And I believe that there's so much more to it than that. And I've learned through Bob Proctor systems how to actually put action and intention behind a prayer to make it possible. And that's what manifestation is. You know, you're, you're praying for a thing. And sometimes we pray for things and we're like, you know what? I've been praying for the same thing for all these years and nothing happened. Well, mm-hmm. maybe there's a couple of things in place. Maybe you actually don't believe what you're praying for. Or maybe you have not become the person that you need to be in order to receive that thing. You're not in alignment for what it is that you're praying for, right? <laughs> so when it comes to, you know, big uh, seagulls and being able to manifest things, some key things come into place. You know, vibrationally, and say, so what space are you in when you're asking for these things? Because we need to come from a place of love. And love is a high vibration. Because if you're praying for things and you're on a low vibration, you're blocking. Not coming through. The message can't get through. It's it's not going to come through. Exactly. And when you're on a low vibration praying for things, you are not being the version of you that you need to be to align with that. That prayer may have manifested in that moment, but it is at that place in time where you need to be to receive it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then coming from a place of service. Uh, when you're manifesting things because a lot of people try to manifest things out of ego and it's not the right form to receive it in so you know how are you willing to be of service to attract that thing that you are looking for how are you able to be a solution and to provide um, for the greater good whether it be your family your community or the world at large and then what i talked about earlier about belief you know people don't believe in what they're really asking for. They don't believe that it's possible. So any form of doubt, worry, or fear that you put behind that, you're blocking that from coming through. And then having patience, because we look at, if we pray for a thing, we want it right now, 
we met like time is a man-made thing. You know, we, we created that for us. So having patience and waiting to receive things on God's time and not our time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know if that, that broke it down, adding the spiritual, Ooh. um, it did. To make it did. I was snapping. I was asking you to repeat. Th- no, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for breaking it down at that um, at that level. That was really helpful. And you talked about you talked about service, and you talked about impact, and and what those things mean to you. I'm also of the belief that you know our purpose is not necessarily tied to what it is like that we're doing, whether it's a job, whether it's a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious to know what drives you every day. So what drives me? You know, I I used to answer the question about my why and the answer used to always be my kids. But I realize it's far greater than that. And although my kids are the greatest blessing that I have, I believe that I wasn't only put here on this earth to serve my children, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe that I'm a healer. and But that comes from my own pain, like our pains birth our purpose. After 150 interviews, there's a commonality between all the women who are sharing their stories of resilience on my podcast. They were able to find their purpose and to be able to walk in their calling from something that happened to them through their pain. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. So like our, our pains force us to pay attention, right? So it's, we don't want other people to feel that pain. We want to help prevent other people from feeling that pain. So we try to find solutions for that pain. I was listening to another podcast. I think it was Oprah or maybe it was Jay Shetty. I can't remember, but they were talking about success is influenced by our trauma. Mm-hmm. And majority of people who are extremely successful, what well, it was influenced by their trauma and their passion to heal and to help others to heal. So when we're looking at, you know, people sometimes say, well, I don't know what my passion is or my, my purpose is. Well, what do you need to heal from? And how can you use that to help others? And there are some people that may feel because there are some people who are not ready to deal with their childhood wounds or their past traumas or pains. So they'll say, well, I don't have anything you know, negative to, to focus on. I don't have any traumas. Okay, well, what are you good at? What's your area of genius? And how can you use that to serve? Yeah, through the show also, like, it's been pretty interesting to see how people have really just changed their story about a particular experience. And for like one example that I will share is just around some folks who, you know, maybe you've seen them maybe you see them today building community and bringing people together and really fostering those connections. And then you come to find out that in their childhood, you know, they were bullied and they never felt connected and they never had, you know, like a strong support system. And so that piece about reflecting back on what your own experiences are and, and looking at that and working through those things might reveal stuff to you that maybe you've glossed over, right? Or it's a memory that you've suppressed. So thank you for sharing that. I think Um, a lot of people don't spend enough time with themselves, getting to know themselves the same way that you'd want to get to know another person. You spend time with them, right? You, you learn to study them, what their likes are, what their dislikes are, what pushes their buttons. But a lot of people are so consumed with what other people are doing that they're not reflecting and looking at themselves and looking deeper at the cause of why they do a lot of the things that they do. You know, I I used to have certain habits that I couldn't explain and I won't go into too much detail, but I remember my kids used to laugh at me because I used to have an obsession with buying toilet paper and it had to be the highest quality of toilet paper. And, and like in my last house, my storage closet, like this was, you know, pre-pandemic when people were like overbuying toilet paper, that used to be me. So I couldn't understand what my obsession was. Every time I went into Walmart, Uh. I would have to buy, you know, at least two um, things of expensive toilet paper. And it's because growing up in government housing, when you had one ply toilet paper and sometimes you didn't have any, there might just, it stemmed from a trauma that I wasn't aware of until I dug deeper into it. So now that I know that that exists, I don't overstock on toilet paper. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. That's a, that's like a really great example of things that it's just, we've always done it that way. Yeah. Right. And then asking yourself, I think it takes asking yourself the right questions or someone making a comment and you're like, hmm, why do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. And then giving yourself the space to explore. Um, McKinney, it's been an honor to have you on. I, for the last question, I'd love for you to share, you know, something happening in your industry right now that, or just like in the culture and society at large that you're really, you know, have your eye on that you're really intrigued about. It could be anything. I would say the current state of the world right now, especially with the pandemic and these multiple lockdowns, the effects that that is having and is going to have in the future on people's mental health, the decline in mental health. And I think as a mindset coach, as much as I enjoy what I do, it's going to be a lot of work to help people to heal and reprogram and to come out of that state because the pandemic and these lockdowns and things that people see in the media have put a lot of people into a space of fear and anxiety and all the things that we've been working so hard to help people heal from and now you know because of how things have have happened it's a huge part of the population that is dealing with living in fear and anxiety So there's going to be a lot of having to provide solutions and to make a greater impact. Yeah. And this is why I absolutely love the work that you have been doing for the longest time. And like, I can only imagine the amount of people who have maybe witnessed your journey, come into contact with you, gone through your coaching, and they are then, maybe they're not necessarily a mindset coach, but they can take those practices of healing and and supporting other people and doing it through their own mm-hmm. um in their own way and, and through their own work and so it, it has a ripple effect the work that you're doing mckinney and i want to thank you for that thank you so much it's it's been it's been quite the journey um i have to be a product of the product but like you said i love seeing yeah. clients that have gone through my coaching and they are now becoming coaches in their area of genius Um, And like you said, that, that ripple effect, that domino effect, you know, sometimes we don't realize the impact that we're making. And for some people, especially when you're starting out, it may seem small or insignificant, but the smallest thing can mean the world to someone else. And that impact can be far greater than you will ever imagine. I agree. I agree. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Um, Thank you to everyone who has taken the time to listen to this episode of The Power of Why. I'll have all the links to where you can find McKinney online, whether that's through Instagram. Um, But what's the best place for people to connect with you? So like you mentioned, I like to play most on my personal Instagram page. So, um, but the easiest way to find me is Google, (laughs) Um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, all the podcast platforms. Um, Everything is under McKinney Smith or Walk in My Stilettos. Perfect. Thank you. And we will catch you in the next episode. Every week I sit down with people who are living life on their own terms, creating from a purposeful place, building with impact as a guiding light and having fun on their own journey. Thank you for listening to the Power of Why podcast. Make sure to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts with the one reason that you really love the show or this particular episode. We'll see you next week.